You are listening to the audio podcast of Gethsemane Baptist Church, located in Long Beach, California, pastored by Eli Reynolds. Who needs a fill-in-the-blank sheet this evening? There's always one. Who's it going to be? Anybody need a fill-in-the-blank sheet tonight? All right. How about upstairs? Looking up there. All right. Don't see anybody. Get keys to a car in your hand, Brother Jeff? What is that? Oh, I thought you were like, who needs a, who needs a Ford? Okay. Uh, how about a pen? Anyone? A pen? Anybody need anything at all? Okay, I think we're good. All right. You came content and ready to go. Matthew chapter number 15 in your Bibles tonight. <clears throat> I went over to ask Brother Delgado, do you know that song? Because I saw it on the cue card for God. The verse rings a bell, but uh, the song was not ringing the bell. But after I heard it, I was like, yes, I know that song. All right, there we go. So we're good to go. Uh, Matthew chapter 15 tonight. And uh, I, I, I don't have a series I'm in right now, but I am certainly going to start a series at the beginning of the year. And I may do something smaller in, in December. I'm still kind of deciding on that. But in the meantime, as, as God brings things to my mind or different things to study, I'm, I've been kind of... Uh, just preaching and teaching on those things. And next week, I'm, I'm probably going to be teaching on signs. Signs. You know, so many people look for signs, you know, and they read the tea leaves and see, okay, this is what I'm supposed to do. And, or they ask God for a sign. A lot of people in the Bible ask God for signs. Is that a good thing? Is that a bad thing? Is there an appropriate time to do that? How do you know? And uh, so uh, I, uh, I'm probably going to teach on that next Wednesday. Uh, interesting. Two people texted me this week. Doug Fisher texted me this week and said, he's a pastor in, down in, uh, in San Diego, and he said, I had you on my heart that God is blessing you in an unusual way. I was like, okay, where is it, Lord? You know, like, I'm ready. Then I got a text this morning, Pastor Murphy, our old pastor. I woke up thinking of you. Is everything okay? <laughs> and I'm like, well, how do you take those two signs, you know, like, God, is something going to happen? You know, is it something good? Is it something bad? Should I be afraid? So we're going to talk about some of those type of things next week. I'll probably tell those stories again. But uh, uh, I, that's what, where I'm leading next week. It has nothing to do with tonight. Tonight we're looking at Pharisaism. Now, what is that? In the Bible, there was a group of people called the Pharisees. And we're going to talk about them for a little bit. And the topic here is appearances can be deceiving. Appearances can be deceiving. Let's look at Matthew 15 tonight. And uh, if this is not working, this microphone here, I'm just going to go ahead and take that off so I don't have to worry about that thing. But uh, Matthew chapter 15, let's look what Jesus has to say about the Pharisees. I'll tell you a little bit about who the Pharisees are in just a moment. Then came, Je then came to Jesus scribes and Pharisees, which were of Jerusalem, saying... Why do thy disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? For they wash not their hands when they eat bread. So these religious leaders, Pharisees, were upset at Jesus' disciples because they didn't wash their hands. All right? But he answered and said to them, Why do ye also transgress the commandment of God by your tradition? So you're mad at, at my disciples for not following your tradition, but your tradition isn't following the commands of God. 
These little rules you've invented are not following the commands that God gave. For God commanded, saying, Honor thy father and mother, and he that curseth father and mother, let him die the death. But ye say, Whosoever shall say to his father or his mother, It is a gift, by whatsoever thou mightest be profited by me, and honor not his father or his mother, he shall be free. They're just making up their own laws here. Thus have ye made the commandment of God of none effect by your tradition. So you're giving them a way out when, when God never did. Ye hypocrites, well did Isaiah, which is the New Testament spelling of the Old Testament name Isaiah, the big book, 66 chapters of the Old Testament, Isaiah. And he says, ye, did, uh, ye hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you, saying, this people draweth nigh unto me with their mouth and honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. But in vain they do worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. And Jesus goes on and talks more about the Pharisees. Who are the Pharisees? The Pharisees were religious leaders of that day, but really they, they stood for everything corrupt about the religious system of that day. Now, in the Old Testament, Judaism had a purpose, right? The Judaism, as we look, Jewish people were chosen by God, and God chose them as uh, that the, the Messiah would come through the Jewish line. They were supposed to be a witnesses to the neighboring areas, but they never really did a good job with that. But through the years, what really should have been a true, pure religion of serving God turned into something very ugly. And when you read the New Testament, you'll find Jesus just, and, and Paul and others just berating the spiritual leaders of that day because they had made it something that it was never intended to be. The Pharisees, what they would often do, and I'll tell you more about it in just a second here, but, but they were famous for adding to the law. In fact, that's the first blank on your sheet there. The Pharisees were famous for adding to the law. So if, let's just say, for instance, if the law said, okay, you know, thou shalt not... Uh, uh, thou shalt honor thy mother and thy father. Okay, that was one of the Ten Commandments, right? Well, the Pharisees would have put laws, and they did, on top of that law. And they may have said, not only do you have to honor your mother and father, but every time they say take out the trash, you have to do it within five minutes. And, and so now, you know, okay, well, God says i got to take it out within five minutes. And, and then, the, no, 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 now, now not only do you have to take it out within five minutes, but you also have to have a, a smile on your face when you do it. That's what the law says. That's what the law says, or else you're stoned. So, and, and so what happened is that people are being crushed under the amount of these false laws that, that Pharisees would make. Now, and that's what Jesus is saying here. You have these traditions that have been passed down to you. The things like, you know, you have to take it out by this time. That was just an example. That, that wasn't like a, a common law. Of course, you know that. But they would make these little uh, 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 laws to add on to the law of God. They're adding and making up their laws and their traditions. And in effect, they were adding to what God said and putting stricter, uh, putting stricter regulations on people than God ever did. So what happened is they, they, they became so corrupt that so much of what they did was about the outward appearance. It was about getting money and robbing people and using people to make themselves richer and look better. That was the religious system of the day. That Jesus came into uh, the world in that type of religious system. And that's why everything he did 
was just diametrically opposed to what was happening in society at that day. And the leaders of that were the scribes and Pharisees. The Pharisees being these teachers that would add to the law these type of things and enforce this. So that's kind of the doctrine of the Pharisees. In fact, when you see in in Matthew 23, we'll look there in a little bit, Jesus pronounces seven woes upon them. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. And the things that he talks about is they don't practice what they preach. They lay heavy burdens on people. They do their deeds to be seen of others. They love the seat of honor. They love to be lifted up in honor. They shut the door to the, of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. They make their followers twice as much a child of hell as they are themselves. They are rightly called blind guides. They're called blind fools. They're called hypocrites, whitewashed tombs, and a brood of vipers, a generation of vipers. So not nice words. Jesus did not use, he did not, he did not soften his speech when he talked about these people because they were, they were making merchandise of the people. They were, making, they were using people and hurting people. And as religious leaders, Jesus was not happy about that. As religious leaders, we pastors and a staff and as deacons, we have a responsibility to people. Not to use you for our own gain, but to spiritually help you and instruct you. And so Jesus was very hard on these people. So they were adding to God's word. In Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 2, it says, You shall not add unto the word which I command you, neither shall you diminish aught or anything from it, that ye may keep the commandments of the Lord your God which I command you. So even, even in the Old Testament, it was saying, don't add to God's word. Or what the Pharisees do, they, they added to God's word. They added a lot. It's kind of like the, the rule book at college. When I went there, you know, the rule book was like this thick. When I left, the rule book was this thick, you know. And it wasn't because of me, all right. But, but it's just, it keeps getting added onto. And like when you go to a stricter kind of seminary or a, a Bible college type of, uh, uh, environment, there are stricter rules than if you go to Long Beach State. You understand that, right? But some of the rules were ridiculous. And they just added the rules on and on and on and on. I'm sure there was a good reason for them. But that's what the Pharisees did. They were adding and adding and adding to the law. The Apostle Paul was once uh, uh, the greatest, uh, had the greatest reputation as a Pharisee. He was one of these teachers. He was the one that memorized the Old Testament law and knew what the law was. And he knew all of that. And the Bible says in Acts 26, 5, Paul said, Which knew me from the beginning, if they would testify, that after the most straightest sect of our religion, I lived a Pharisee. He said, hey, people know me. People know what I was. People know how I used to be a Pharisee, and I was like, I was at the strictest part of it. In Philippians 3, 5, he says, circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, and Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law, a Pharisee. So Paul was that, but Paul found out that not even, that even keeping the law in the strictest sense could not produce true righteousness. Even if he kept all the law, it did not produce true righteousness. Self-righteousness is not true righteousness. In fact, it is no righteousness at all. I believe that's on your sheet there. Philippians 3, 9, and be found in him, Paul said, not having mine own righteousness. He said, I was a Pharisee looking to, looking to live by the law to have righteousness, but it's not about my righteousness. It's about me getting Christ's righteousness. Not mine own righteousness of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. Take your Bible, go to Matthew 23. Matthew 23. A couple of chapters ahead here, Matthew chapter 23. Now, you say, why are you telling us this, Pastor? Is this a, a, applicable to today? Yes, it is, and you'll see that in a moment, why these passages are applicable today. Matthew chapter number 23, verses 1 through 7. 
This is talking about the marks of a Pharisee. Then spake Jesus to the multitude and to his disciples, saying, The scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. All therefore whatsoever they bid you observe, that observe and do. But do not ye after their works, for they say and do not. For they bind heavy burdens and grievous to be borne and lay them upon men's shoulders. But they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. But all their works they do for to be seen of men. They make broad their phylacteries and enlarge the borders of their garments and love the uppermost rooms at feasts and the chief uh, seats in the synagogues and greetings in the markets and to be called of men, Rabbi, Rabbi. But, and and we'll, we'll stop there. So he's talking about some of the characteristics of what Pharisees in that day look like. And I want to bring out a few of them. I want you to write these down, okay? Here are some of the characteristics. Number one, they were self-righteous. Now, there's no screen tonight with the words on it, so I'm going to have to just give you the blanks, which means you may have to pay attention tonight. <laughs> but uh, no, I'm just kidding. But, uh, but self-righteous. Pharisees were self-righteous. They, they believed that they were morally superior to everybody else. They were, and by the way, let's be very careful as Christians who we firmly believe that we know the truth and we firmly believe that we have the truth in God's word and that we live the truth, but may we never have the mentality that we are morally superior than to everybody else. Just because we have the truth doesn't mean we're morally superior. Oftentimes when you know the truth and you don't do it, you're more responsible. So when we don't live right, we are more of a culprit than, uh, than anybody else. So let's be careful we don't, we don't view it that way. We're still sinners saved by grace. Number next, proud. Characteristics of Pharisees, they were proud. They, they had a very high opinion of themselves and of their importance. They thought, we are, we are so important. Romans 12, 3 said, For I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. But to think soberly, according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. So they obviously didn't have that written at that time, but they didn't observe that humility either. They were proud people, but also hypocrisy. They were hypocrites. They were, they were self-righteous. They were proud. They were, they were hypocritical. They were, you could put hypocrites there, hypocrisy. Um, they, what does that word mean? It means a pretender. The word hypocrite literally is translated from Greek to mean one who wears a mask. Now, I, I remember one of our teenagers had a birthday party, and they had like, it was like a fancy type birthday party, and uh, I think it was a young lady turning 16, and she had like masks that she gave to people, like almost like a masquerade type thing, fancy, and, uh, and then, you know, you could bring your own or whatever, and so you came in and you wore these little masks, and we were dressed all fancy and everything. And, uh, you know, masks, what do they do? They mask your identity. And so when a Pharisee is called a hypocrite, it's, it, it was also used as a reference to like an actor on a stage, an actor or someone that wears a mask. And in other words, what you see is not really who they are. Appearances can be deceiving. Appearances can be deceiving. And that's in Matthew 23, 3. We just read that. It says, They're all therefore whatsoever they bid you observe, that observe and do, but do ye not after their works, for they say and do not. They're a hypocrite. So probably, though, the next blanks here, probably the most obvious character flaw for which Christ upbraided them or rebuked them was their tendency to place much more value on the outside than the inside. And that's your two blanks there much more value on the outside than they did on the inside. 
Remember, these are religious leaders. These are people that are standing outside and proclaiming things, and everything they did, they were doing for the benefit of someone to think more highly of them. They wore, you know, their, their phylacteries, which some talk, talk about as, as maybe like an enclosed scripture in a case, and, and they would wear it out and open, like, here I am holding these precious scriptures, and I'm so important, and I'm so vital, and, and, you know, and all that kind of stuff. And, but they, they were focused more on the outside than the inside. And so you can see why everything they're doing is just in opposition, in co- in completely different than what Christ wanted. Completely different. Now, let's look, if you would, at Matthew chapter 23, verse 25. Matthew 23, 25. And as you're reading this, I want you to notice the references to the words outside and within. Outside and within. Look at Matthew chapter 23, verse number, uh, it starts in verse 23, but we're going to skip those for now and go to verse 25. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, For ye make clean the outside of the cup and of the platter, but within they are full of extortion and excess. Now look, you take a dish out of the dishwasher tonight, and the outside of that cup is spotless. But the inside's got spaghetti sauce, it's got a Cheerio, it's got, you know, who knows what else, sour cream or something. There's no way you're going to be like, we're fine, fill it up. You know, you won't do that because the inside is more important than the outside. But for them, they didn't clean the inside. They cleaned the outside. Talking about of of their lives. Verse 26, thou blind Pharisee, cleanse first that which is within the cup and platter, that the outside of them may be clean also. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye are like unto whited sepulchers or gravestones, which indeed appear beautiful outward, but are within full of dead men's bones and of all uncleanness. You can have a most beautiful tomb you've ever seen. If you go to Louisiana, you can see these great houses and stuff they build for people that are dead, but on the inside, it's still dead people's bones. And so that's what he's saying. You may look good outwardly, okay? Verse 28, even so ye also outwardly appear righteous unto men, but within ye are full of hypocrisy and iniquity. So four times it says within, and four times it says outside or outward or outwardly. And so you can see where Jesus is talking about this, uh, what he's talking about here, verse 29. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because ye build the tombs of the prophets and garnish the uh, sepulchers of the righteous, and say, if we had been in the days of our fathers, we would not have been partakers with them in the blood of the prophets. And they say, eh, we would have been better than them. But really, the, the, the focus here is the inside versus the outside. And, uh, you know, it's a sad thing that in our world and our society, and sometimes in churches, that, that people are so focused on how they look that they neglect how they look on the inside. That's dangerous. You ever watch an award show like the Oscars? I, I don't. They're, they're just, that's just garbage time to me at this point. But I've seen, the, I've seen them in the past. And sometimes you can see these people and uh, they're getting adorned, right? They're dressing up and and they're coming to the biggest party of the year and they have these smiles on their faces and they have to sit there when they're nominated for an award and uh, then, you know, they have to pretend to clap when the other guy wins. Oh, I'm so happy for them. And, and, And really, it's all an outward show. 
Because then you hear that some of these same celebrities are in drug rehab or they've committed suicide or there's these horrible things and then they have to go outside and listen to people critique what they wear all day and, and all this kind of, and there's just sadness there on the inside. There's sadness in the eyes even though on the outside they have everything together. Vincent van Gogh, of course, famous painter who took his own life. He left a note after he took his own life and he said, the sadness will last forever. Famous, you know, the unbelievable type stuff we're saying. The, you know, the idea that you must appear like you have it all together. You know, you don't have to appear like you have it all together. You know why? Because you don't have it all together. Yeah, I do, Pastor. I guarantee you there is an area in everybody's life that's struggling in some way. All right? It just is how it works. That's how life is. Historian Christopher Lash said, nothing succeeds like the appearance of success. You know, just looking the part. William Booth, of course, founder of the Salvation Army, said, look, don't be deceived by appearances. Men and things are, are not what they seem. All who are not on the rock are in the sea. So, you know, just because people may even look saved, if they're not on the rock, if they're not on Christ, they're in the sea and they need saving. They need to be saved. So, and what we're seeing in, whether it be in church or just in the world, in the world it's so much more common, but even in church, people are self-destructing because the outside looks like it's all together, but the inside is empty. And that is a great danger for people. In the Bible, it tells us that even Satan and his false prophets and deceitful workers transformed themselves into the apostles of Christ, and no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. You know what? Appearances can be deceiving. Even though Satan can look great and look beautiful, appearances are not everything. So you say, Pastor, do church people really need this message? Absolutely. Because I will tell you, and, and probably I'm not talking about anybody here tonight, but church people can be some of the most deceitful, hypocritical people in the world. We can be that way. We can be extremely hypocritical and have it all together, pretending like we have it all together on the outside and making that the important part. Now, look, I don't think you ought to come to church looking like you, you slept in a, in a garbage can and, you know, you open your door and 16 Starbucks cups fall out. And, you know, I, I don't think that's the way you ought to live. I'm not saying that. I just want to be real. just want to be transparent. I'm not saying that. You know, get yourself together a little bit. But what I'm saying is your focus is more on the inside than it is the outside. That's the important thing that we're talking about. So how do we avoid this? Let me just give you some thoughts quickly here. How do you avoid the doctrine of the Pharisees in your own life? How do you avoid becoming like a Pharisee, which Jesus continually talked very bad about? So how do you avoid that in life? Let me give you a couple of thoughts tonight quickly here. Number one, don't just say, do. Don't just say, do. And we saw that in the previous, in chapter 23, for they say and do not. So don't just say, but do. You know, a lot of people talk a big talk. They do, but they don't walk that walk. They, they talk a great game. I, you know, being youth pastor for so many years and, and dealing with teenagers from our area that go to public school and stuff, I had so many teenagers that just thought they were the business when it came to basketball. And oh, you know, you'll, you know, I'm, I'm, at the, I'm in my 20s. They're 13. It really wasn't ever a fair fight, all right? I've been playing ball since I was five years old, 
and they're, you know, they're 13, 14. Man, I'd whoop you and all this kind of stuff. I will tell you, in 16 years of being a youth pastor, I've never been beaten one time by a teenager in one-on-one. That's because I never played Jonan. But other than that, you know, I, I, you pick and choose your battles, right? But, but I never lost a game of one-on-one to a teenager. And I would have teenagers that would talk so much trash and I don't look like a basketball player. I'm just tall, you know. And they'd say, okay, well, you know, after church, we're going to take you downstairs and we're going to whip you, Brother Reynolds, and all this kind of stuff. And I was like, all right, to keep talking, keep talking. And I cannot tell you, like, I'm not great. I'm just, I was older and, and, and bigger and stronger than a lot of these kids at the time. It would be 11 to 0, you know, 11 to 1 or whatever. And I'm blocking their shots. Cars are going by. I'm, I'm like mocking them a little bit. Like, hey, I thought you were going to whip me. What happened? And their friends are like, walking away and all this kind of stuff. But you know what? They, they had the talk right. They had the talk right. They got that down. They were great at talking. When it came to doing, not so great. And nowadays, I don't play basketball with anybody because I'm going to break something else, you know. But, uh, but don't just say, that's the definition of a hypocrite, right? When you call somebody a hypocrite, man, you're just a hypocrite. What are you saying? You're saying, you're telling me to do it, but you're not doing it. You're saying you believe it, but you're not doing it. You're a hypocrite. What do people say about church members? I don't want to go to church because there's so many hypocrites there. What do they mean? They mean it's the, there's a bunch of people that, that, that act like they're spiritual and say that we ought to live spiritually, but they don't live spiritually. Well, let's not be guilty. I, I've, I had a, a pastor in college that would tell people, uh, he was a professor in our, in our college, but he was also a pastor, and people would, would tell him he's still a pastor, and they would say, I don't want to come to your church, there's just too many hypocrites there. And he'd say, you know what, why don't you come and wake, make one more? You know, you're a hypocrite too. Everybody's a hypocrite in some way. It doesn't excuse us, but, but Paul addresses this. And um, I want you to look really quickly at Romans chapter 2. Hold your place here. Romans chapter 2, and this is important scripture just to see, and maybe you've not heard this scripture before, but Romans chapter number 2 and verse number 21. Romans 2, 21. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans. So we're in Matthew. Just keep going to the right. You'll hit Romans chapter number 2. In verse number 21, Paul is talking to to, uh, the people here, and he says in verse number 21, Thou therefore which teachest another, teachest thou not thyself? Thou that preachest a man should not steal, dost thou steal? Thou that sayest a man should not commit adultery, dost thou commit adultery? Thou that abhorrest idols, dost thou commit sacrilege? Thou that makest thy, thy boast of the law through breaking the law, dishonorest thou God? For the name of God is blasphemy among the Gentiles through you. What's he saying? He's saying you're saying it's wrong to commit adultery, but you're committing adultery. You're saying it's wrong to steal, but you're stealing. You're saying it's wrong to rob and and to worship idols, but you're doing those things. And so what you're doing is you're causing the Gentiles, the the non-believers, to blaspheme God. To say that's the God you serve. That's the type of representative you are. Must not be a very great God. Practice what you preach. By the way, don't try to adapt or change God's commands. Just obey them. Just obey them. That's what the hypocrites did. The Pharisees, they were trying to change it. Now, to help us avoid living like a Pharisee, Jesus did tell us in Matthew chapter 6 to do some things secretly. Did you know there's some things God wants you to do secretly and not blab about it to everybody? Really quickly, let me give it to you. Number one, giving. Giving. When you give... You don't need to be, okay, we're taking an offering. Now we need a special offering tonight. We need to buy some new seats for our auditorium. And, uh, you know, this is a need that we have. And we're taking an offering tonight. You know what you're not supposed to do? Walk down the aisle holding up a check. 
I'll give $10,000. No, you give the $10,000 secretly. All of you need to give ten. No, I'm kidding. But what I'm saying is, if you're going to give the money, and I'm not, don't make it sound like I'm, I'm, I'm telling you have to give. This is not even a project we have yet. But anyway, uh, you know, if you're going to give, you're not supposed to let everybody know. Hey, this is what I'm giving everybody. I'd like to donate this amount of money. You do it secretly. Why? Because the Bible says if you do it secretly, your father rewards you openly. But if you don't do it secretly, then you'll have your praise of men, and that's all you get. So in other words, people would be like, if you, if you were to do that and be like, I'm giving this publicly, everyone, look at how amazing I am. I'm going to lay it on the altar. Here's my check. People are like, oh, what a great guy. That'd be your only reward. That's it. Read Matthew 6. It's there. You do it secretly. God says, now I'm going to reward you openly because you did it secretly. You did, you did it for the right reason. Years ago, we took an offering. We had two shuttles we were going to buy, and now those are both broken down, so I don't know what happened there, but, but we, had, we, we were taking an offering, and that night, $8,000. Somebody gave, two different people gave uh, a total of $8,000 to, to purchase these two shuttles. Both of them came secretly to our financial secretary, one to me, and said, I don't want anybody knowing. I just want to give this because I want those shuttles to be able to pick up people for church. And I was like, that's great. That's awesome. They did not want the limelight of Everybody look at how great I am. Praying, when you pray, uh, you know, you're supposed to do that. that. Now look, you can pray publicly, and, and uh, you know, we, we prayed publicly tonight, but it's not, the, the idea is back in that day, the Pharisees would go stand on the street corner and you know, raise their hands and pray, and that was the only prayer they had. It'd be like the equivalent of you making some loud prayer at dinner time, proclaiming how spiritual you are, but you never pray any other time. You come up to the pulpit, hey, come lead us in prayer, and you're up here, and oh, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but you never have spent time with God anywhere else. You know how you can often tell people that pray a lot privately? They don't pray a lot publicly. Often the people that come up here and pray for a long time, uh, you know, and don't have that much, and much anymore, but people that pray for just a really long time publicly, a lot of times they don't have a prayer life. I don't know what it is, but that's just oftentimes, and I've heard other pastors say the same thing, giving, do it in secret. Praying, do that in secret. Your time with God is in secret, not standing on the street corner, okay? And then the next one is fasting. Fasting, uh, when you're giving up food or, or, or water, or you're giving up something for a set amount of time to spend more time in prayer and, and afflicting yourself so that you can spend more time getting closer to God and saying, God, this is more important to me than food today, that I spend time with you and pray about this specific need. And, you know, the Pharisees would be like, I've just been fasting all day and, and making a, a big display about it. Don't do that. Don't do that. And that you get your reward when people give you the hand clap or they say, great job. And that's not what I want. So, so don't just say, do. And when you do it, do it for the right reasons. Do it secretly sometimes. Do something. I'll challenge you with this. Do something good for somebody else and don't let them find out you did it. Or do something good for somebody else who cannot do you good in return. There may be somebody you see on the street, and you know, they're going through some stuff, or they, they have a need, they're holding up a sign saying, hey, we gotta pay for a funeral or whatever. Do something good to people that you know cannot do anything for you. That way you know you have the right motive. You have the right motive there. So don't just say, do. Secondly, don't just appear to be, be. Don't just appear be. So don't just say it, do it. Don't just appear to be something, be something. Don't just appear to be spiritual, be spiritual. Don't just appear to have a prayer life, 
Have a prayer life. Don't just appear to follow the commands of God. Actually follow them. We're not supposed to do things for show. That's hypocrisy. We don't do things for the glory of men. We don't do things just to be seen. We don't make appearing spiritual the most important thing. We are to be spiritual, not just appear it. We're, we're not a bunch of politicians kissing babies in here. You know, walking around, you know, posing for the picture and, and smiling. And we go, oh, I can't stand these people, man. I hate them all. No, you're not supposed to be one way publicly that is completely different than how you are privately. 2 Corinthians 5.12, For we commend not ourselves again unto you, but give you occasion to glory on our behalf, that ye may have somewhat to answer them, which glory in appearance and not in heart. So there, there was people there in that, in that church talking about they were glorying in their appearance, but not in their heart. They, they were more concerned with the outward than the inward. Wanting everyone to think that you are something that you are not is hypocritical hypocritical. I read a, a joke about a zoo that uh, had a great collection of animals. This zoo, uh, a bunch of different animals at the zoo. Well, the gorilla died. The gorilla at the zoo died. And, and to keep up the appearance of having this full range of animals, the zookeeper hired a man and, uh, to wear the gr gr gorilla suit. And so he's going to wear this gorilla suit and, and, and walk around as a gorilla all day, get paid for it because they didn't want to lose, you know, the reputation of having uh, this great collection of animals. So the first day on the job, the man really did not know how to act like a gorilla very well. But so what he did was he got closer to the, the lion enclosure that was next to him and he began climbing on the wall there and he accidentally fell into the enclosure, into the lion exhibit. So he's wearing this gorilla costume and he just begins to scream and he's convinced that his life is over and the lion comes over and looks at him and says, be quiet or you're going to get both of us fired. Appearances can be deceiving. That's what the Bible said in Matthew 23, 27. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye are like unto whited sepulchers, which indeed appear beautiful outward, but within are full of dead men's bones and of all uncleanness. Write this last thing in here, if you would. On this point, we'll move on. One of the biggest dangers with an appearance-based mentality, that your appearance is most important, that mentality, one of the biggest dangers is the reluctance to ask for help or to show any sign of weakness. My wife and I spent a couple hours talking about this the other night even. It's a big problem. That when we, we are so superficial, even in our churches, and there is a culture in a lot of good churches that says, if you have a problem, don't share it with anybody because you will be harshly judged. And I hope that's not the culture of our church. I hope that we can confess our faults one to another, James 5 style. And, and, and without being, you know, rebuked. And all, I hope that we can, we can ask for help when we need it. I hope that we're, we can show some weakness time to time. That's a good thing. It's dangerous when we don't. It's not wise. So don't just say something. Do something. Don't just appear to be something. Be something. Number three, let me say this. Start with the inside. Start with the inside. You don't want to be a hypocrite? Start with the inside. The outside can be the most obvious part. You know, you see someone new coming to church and they're outside, you know, with, a, with a, a bottle and a paper bag smoking a cigarette. And they're like, hey, I'm just excited to be in church today, you know. And uh, 
and I'm like, Brother Jeff, put that down. No, I'm kidding. Uh, but then, he's not even in here, man. Oh, there you are, Brother Jeff. I thought you were in the back. I'm just kidding. But, but what I'm saying is, like, the, the obvious thing may be, all right, let's get rid of the cigarette. Let's get rid of... But, but often, you have to remember that salvation works inside out. Sanctification works inside out. God changes you inside, and then the outside changes. Your tastes don't change right away. A lot of times, when you get saved... Those tastes have to change over a course of maturing in time. Your taste buds when you were a kid are a lot different than they are now. Our kids are so funny. And things that, you know, it's the younger ones, they, they don't like anything. Like, it's almost like they want the most bland food out there or something sugary. You know, but over time, they're going to learn to like barbecue sauce. And they're going to learn to like, you know, horchata. And they're going to learn to like things like that, you know. But right now, it's like rice, beans. All right, come on, I said the magic word, rice. People are woken up now, but start. But what I'm saying, those taste buds, they change over time. And so maybe you're coming to church and you're like, hey, I'm kind of new to church, but I'm just not digging the music, Pastor, because you're new. When I got into church, I didn't like Christian music at all. I was like, what, what are we singing here? Where's the drums? I played, I, I grew up playing, I learned rock, blues, and jazz guitar. So I, I was, I got my Spender Stratocaster at home, let me come up in here. You know, and, and, but what I'm saying is, over time, you grow to like things. You grow in your spiritual maturity, and the music, the hymns, mean more. And they feed you spiritually, you walk out of here feeling like you ate a full meal. And as you're going through spiritually in life, your, your spiritual taste buds develop more and more. And so realize that, that that changes the more you mature as a Christian. That happens when you're focused on the inside. When you see people that have, have committed these terrible sins, it started on the inside. People that are habitual liars, where did it start? It started on the inside. Adultery, it started on the inside. Murderers, started on the inside. Drunkenness, started somewhere. They're trying to medicate something on the inside. Hypocrisy, things like that. So all of the, we saw the verses already. What's more important is not the, ins, uh, the outside of the cup, it's the inside of the cup, as Jesus said. In 2 Corinthians 4, 16, for which cause we faint not, but though the outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. The inward man, the inward man. Okay, let me give you some things here quickly, just by, uh, we'll get to the last point here. Starting with the inside would include some of the following things. If you're going to really start focusing on the inside, then you need to focus, first of all, on the word acknowledgement. Acknowledgement. I'm going to focus on the inward man. That means I need to be honest with God and acknowledge some things. Acknowledge my sin before God. Acknowledge my weakness before God. Acknowledge my need of God. Acknowledge my, uh, my, in, uh, my incapability of, of helping my own self. There's a song that says, I can't even walk without him holding my hand. I love that. You know, you need to acknowledge. Now, he already knows it, but you need to acknowledge it. Oftentimes, we're, when we're correcting our children, like, we already know what they need to do. We already know the answer, but they need to acknowledge something. They need to make sure they understand it. Ask God to reveal anything to you that needs cleansing. Acknowledgement. Secondly, confession. So you're acknowledging, God, I recognize that the way I'm living is not right. 
I recognize that this is not holy. I recognize that this is not pleasing to you. I recognize and I acknowledge my own sin and my own incapability of fixing this situation, but I am bringing it to you and I'm confessing you. What does the word confession mean? It means to agree with God on it. In other words, if God sees it as bad, you see it the same way. If God sees it as wicked, you see it the same way. If God sees it as righteous, you see it the same way. And you're confessing, God, I am admitting I did this. Or God, I'm not doing this. And I need to be. Whatever it is, you're confessing. Number three is repentance. What's repentance? Repentance is a biblical word that we need to know these things. Confession is a word in the Bible. Acknowledge is a word in the Bible. Repentance. It literally means a change of mind and like a turnabout face. I was going one way, I stopped, I pivoted. You know, you see the military officers, they stop on a dime, they pivot, and they go a complete 180, a different direction. That's repentance. I've changed my mind on this thing. I don't think like this anymore. I'm not doing this anymore. I'm renouncing that sin. I'm turning from it. When people are going to get saved, do they have to renounce every sin they've ever done and confess them in detail? No. What they have to repent of is their own way of salvation. They have to repent of, uh, I'm trusting in my own good works to get to heaven. No, they have to turn from that. They have to turn away from that and turn to Christ. And then Christ changes the life. Number four, what else? Daily inspection and cleansing. You're going to focus on the inside. There should be repentance every day. We sin every day. Why are we not confessing and and, and repenting of it every day? But then there's the daily inspection of saying, God, cleanse me. God, what's wrong in my life? Is there anything between me and you? When you say something to somebody you know is unkind, you got to stop right then and confess it to God. God, that was not kind. That was not what I ought to say. Excuse me, I I just said something to you that was unkind, and I'm not supposed to talk like that. It just, it came across wrong. I feel like maybe I offended you. I want to apologize for that right now. You keep short accounts. You keep short accounts. That's a good thing to do. Number next is this. What else? Daily life. What what else do we need to focus on the inside? The washing of the word and prayer. The Bible talks about the washing of the word. Every day, our inward man needs to have, be bathed in scripture. Be in the word of God. Read it. Have somebody read it to you. Whatever it takes. Uh, uh, Get in the Bible. And prayer, these things. If you're going to focus on the inside, get the inside right. Get it right with God. Don't have everything put together on the outside and be corrupted inside. No, get it right. Get in the Bible. Get in prayer. Be closer to God. Uh, get, let God change you from the inside out. That's what he wants to do. And then number four, allow God to change the outside too. Allow God to change the outside. So allow him on the inside, start with the inside, allow him to change your heart, and then you know what's going to happen? God will change the outside. God will change the outside. But we have to place more importance on the inside than the outside. Now that does not give us an excuse to just sin and do whatever we want to, but, but, but we ought to place the importance on the inside. You know, you can change the outside without changing the inside. That's what the Pharisees did. They look great on the outside. That's being a Pharisee. But you cannot change the inside without the outside being affected. God will change you. God will correct things. God will will, uh, mature you and grow you. And that is when I know real change has taken place. When I see people that 
without even being told what to wear, how to look, you know, what to listen to. They, they just begin to change. That's how you can tell God is changing that person in the correct way, inside out. That is transformation. To just change the outside, but the inside never changed, that's not transformation. That's not transformation. That's con con conformation. That's conforming. Uh, but, but when God changes you, it's a transforming process, inside to outside. That's how you know real change has taken place. I won't read the scripture there, but, but Matthew 23 talks about the inside. And we read those verses already, and, and, um, but I'll just go into the last couple things here. You know, by the way, let me just say this. Don't take it upon yourself to fix somebody else when you haven't fixed you. The Bible talks about the beam in your own eye. You're trying to pick the splinter out of somebody else's eye. And it's just a Ill visual illustration God used, Jesus used. You're trying to pick this little splinter. Let me correct you on this. You're picking that splinter out of someone else's eye, but you've got a telephone pole in your eye. You know, how can you see clearly to help somebody else when you so obviously have something sticking out in your own life? You know, and, and so be very careful with that. We had a, I've told you this story before, but it just, it just boils my blood every time I think about it. We had a young lady coming, off, uh, our teen, coming to our teen department, probably 12 years ago or something, and uh, she came to church. I mean, she came from a horrible background, horrible, horrible uh, a life, never knew her parents. She lived with her grandmother. There's been abuse. There's been all this stuff in her home, and she came to our youth department, and she felt loved here. She felt wanted here. Uh, she, you know, she would come every week, getting herself up, coming to church, even when, you know, no one wanted her to from her family and all this kind of stuff, and she did not know how to dress at church. You know, she could come to church and see people and see happy Christians and stuff, but it's not like she could go to her closet and just get a bunch of these, you know, church clothes, so to speak, out. So she came one time in a kind of a shorter skirt, and she had, uh, I guess they're called stockings on, but they were like the fishnet kind. And we had a leader in our church, a leader, a man that was a leader in our church, go up to her and say, what are you doing here? You look like a prostitute. Now, she was 14, he was 40. And I had to go to the pastor at that time and say, you need to hold me back because I'm going to choke him. You, and I was, I was furious. I physically want to hurt this man. <laughs> like, it wasn't good. You know, and I said, so are, and I wasn't saying, I wasn't giving an ultimatum, but it was kind of like, you've got, you got to handle this because if I do it, it's going to be real bad. It's going to turn out ugly. It made me so mad. And, and, but, but what happened there? There was a guy who had a beam in his eye. And there's more to that story, but there's a beam there, and yet he's picking at this brand new young lady that was really inappropriate for him to do it in the first place, and not his job in the second place, and no one asked him in the third place. My wife and I decided a long, long time ago that we're not going to preach to the outside of teenagers. We're going to preach to the inside of teenagers. We're going to preach to the heart. Why? Because the outside is just the effects of what's going on on the inside. And if you can get God on the inside and you can let them have the Holy Spirit living on the inside, he's going to clean up that house. And he's going to take care of those things. But we focus so much on the little outside pet peeves and stuff that we don't like, but we're neglecting the real transformation that takes place by the heart. That's the important part. So I'll give you this last thought here. One of the greatest ways to, become, to avoid becoming like a Pharisee is to become a servant. Serve other people. Why? Because that's what the Pharisees were not doing. The Pharisees wanted to be recognized and served. That is the exact opposite of what Jesus wanted. 
Now, in the passage where we were, right before Jesus starts talking about the Pharisees, he says in verse 11, But he that is greatest among you shall be your servant. And whosoever shall exalt himself shall be abased, and he that shall humble himself shall be exalted. Then he goes into, But woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees. What's he saying? Be a servant. Humble yourself. Don't be like these guys. (laughs) Serve people. Someone said one time, The true test, or the test of a true servant is how you respond when treated like one. The test of a true servant is how you respond when treated like one. Are you a true servant? Well, what happens when people ask you to serve? (laughs) What happens when people expect you to to be a help? We ought to be serving. We're not not the Pharisees here. None of us are too big. I, I can't, you know, I hope this doesn't sound like I'm tooting my own horn. I, I've, I've mopped up the, 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 uh, the overflowed toilets on Sunday mornings. You know, the, the, that's not beyond my purview. That's not, I'm the pastor. I, my nose is lifted up. I, I shall not do these things. No, I'm a servant. I'm here to do things. We're, we're all here to serve. We're not too big for these things. We're not too important for these things. We are all here to serve. We want to avoid this idea of the Pharisees here that we need to stop putting all of our eggs on people, you know, in one basket of, of people looking at the outward appearance. I think we got it all together. No, the inside transformation is the important part. Are you being transformed inside? Or are you just conforming outwardly? When God is transforming you inside, certain things start leaving your life and certain things start coming into your life. And I'm wondering today how many of you could say the bad stuff's leaving and the good stuff's coming in. The bad fruit is leaving and the good fruit's coming in. The bad actions are leaving and the good actions are coming in and he's changing me little by little every day. That is the transformation that God wants you to have in scripture. And it is a glorious, wonderful thing. So how is the inside of your life doing? Last blank on your sheet. Have you placed more importance on appearance than on actual substance? Father, I pray that you'd help us tonight. With uh, This is a very convicting lesson for me. I don't, I don't want to appear spiritual. I want to be spiritual. Lord, I don't want to be a...